You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. If you look at where we are today, I really don't believe that fitness is going to be the same really in the near future. And, and here's why. The evolution of fitness at home was happening. I mean, we've seen that happen over the last 10 years. What COVID did and what the pandemic did for us is accelerate that trend by three to five years. That was Mohammed Iqbal. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. If this is your first time listening, I'm also a triathlete, runner, yogi, windsurfer, entrepreneur, and founder of beauty, fashion, fitness, and wellness brand strategy and communications company, the Salop Group, and co-founder of Fit Plus Love, an experiential and digital production and content company producing New York City's biggest fitness festival, top podcasts, and more. I really enjoyed seeking up with today's guest, Mohammed Iqbal, the CEO of Sweatworks, to get the inside scoop on what's happening in the digital and home fitness landscape, new technology and innovations in the pipeline, and the next wave of home fitness and virtual racing. Sweatworks has been paving the way with the introduction of several groundbreaking technologies since its inception in 2012, empowering some of the largest brands in the athletic events and fitness industry like Nike, City Row, Strava, Mix Fitness, Spartan, Tough Mudder, Equinox, SoulCycle, and more. Before we dive into this conversation, shout out to my sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. I am loving their incredible CBD balm and new bath bombs, but more about Mad Ritual later. Over the past eight years, Sweatworks has grown from a single fitness app company to a multifaceted, multidiscipline digital agency with offices around the world. They have made the Inc. 5000 list as one of the fastest growing private companies four years in a row. Also very impressive, Mohammed is one of the fastest CEOs I know with his recent 18.22 second 5K race time at the virtual Mercedes-Benz corporate run, placing him sixth overall winning the fastest male CEO award. Clearly, Mohammed runs the run and embodies the core value of his agency, staying healthy and active, doing what moves him. Also, our mission here on the Marnie on the Move podcast, to inspire you to do what moves you and keep on moving. Since March 2020 and the beginning of quarantine, fitness studios, gyms, and endurance sports companies have had to majorly shift gears and boost their digital platforms and build virtual communities and programming. In truth, this idea has been blossoming for over a decade with indoor cycling programs on CompuTrainer and Ironman courses on our computers to Flash Forward, Peloton, and many fitness studios offering online classes like Podcast Guests Physique 57. But now, more than ever, these companies really must get on the digital landscape. I sync up with Mohammed to get a behind the scenes listen to how his company, Sweatworks, has been empowering these brands, you know, with the tools for success and how Sweatworks has been helping fitness brands sustain and build engagement through any digital means possible. We talk about how COVID-19 is changing the fitness industry and how fitness apps are one of the most important pillars for having a unified digital fitness experience during and after the pandemic is dealt with. We chat about the history of fitness technology and how AI is the next wave of digital and so much more. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on five stars and write a review about what you like and what you love. Also, 
Feel free to share the podcast on your Instagram stories or tell your friends on Facebook what you're listening to. If you want to learn more about Muhammad Iqbal and Sweatworks, head over to their website, sweatworks.net. Also, Muhammad will be speaking at the Fit Tech Summit on October 1st and 2nd. Head over to fittechsummit.com to learn more. Now, on to our episode. And as usual, before we get started, a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high quality CBD infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100 plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. So you are the CEO of one of the coolest companies on the fitness landscape right now. Tell me a little bit about Sweatworks, where it began, how it began, and the inspiration behind the very cool digital products and experiences that you're innovating. Where I got the inspiration for Sweatworks is pretty simple. I've always had a passion for health and wellness. I mean, going back to my teenage years, it's been something that's been very near and dear to me. I kind of got into nutrition and fitness really to get in shape when I was a teenager to, to perform better in sports. And very early on, I saw the benefit of applying things like eating a bit better or training a bit smarter and the impact that that could have on your fitness or just in your life. And when I went into the corporate world, I spent 10 years at, at a Fortune 500 company. And uh, one of the roles that I did there is working within their electronics division. So I really was working with hardware and software at this large company in Northern New Jersey. But all along, my passion for fitness continued. Late in the 2000s, I did my MBA. And on that thesis, former MBA was around bringing technology into fitness and wellness. And what I learned from that was that by applying intelligent technology and by just creating product that looks better, that is easier to use, better UX, better UI for the consumer, they tend to stick with their programs more. So then I looked out at the fitness market and at the time, you know, you're looking at these larger gym chains like Gold's Gym or Equinox. Planet Fitness was taking off at that time. And they were all doing such a great job, I think, in expanding, in really building inspiring environments for their consumer. But then when it came down to the implementation of technology, it just wasn't there. And when I looked deeper into that, it came down to the fact that they were great brand operators. So they understood the gym space or even in the event space, like someone running the, the, the New York City Marathon would really understand the marathon space really well. But that doesn't mean that they had a good grasp of technology. And I really felt that by implementing some technology, even if it's small or, or like just a really simple application of that, would inspire even more people to join on their fitness journey. So with all of that, I came up with the idea and I said, you know, let me start an agency that's very much brand focused and help these brands that don't otherwise have tech know-how in-house and, and kind of bring that to them. And that's Sweatworks. What was the first product that you created at Sweatworks? The first product we created was around facial recognition for photos. So we did a beta program with Nike in Arizona where we used photos to identify who a consumer could be. And this is really interesting. So 
Nike is essentially a large marketing company. That's what they are. They are, right. they are a great marketing company. A lot of people view them as an apparel or, or shoe vendor, but in reality, they do marketing. And what they asked for is, well, look, if we know that you are a right consumer for a Nike shoe, our cost of that shoe is maybe $6 for a premium shoe that they retail for $120. Right. We would ship you a free shoe. But they needed to know that, that that you met a few things. One, that you were a runner. Two, that you showed the flexibility to switch brands. And three, that you lived in a neighborhood that could afford a premium type of shoe, right? You, right. you kind of fit that demographic. So what we built was a system that without showing any personal data, uh, we just provided them very generic geographic-based data. But we did a study that looked at race photos over 10 years. And in that time, we saw that, well, if someone was given a free ASICs hat, but they wore Brooks shoes, how long did it take them to convert from that free hat that, that they were given at a race into wearing Brooks shoes or just switching out from Brooks shoes? That is so cool. I love that. Exactly. Because you never know what the entry point is. You never right. know where that first experience with that brand is. It might just be a free T-shirt and you might think to yourself, wow, this is a great quality T-shirt. I never looked at ASICs before. Let me go ahead and try out their shoes, even though I've been wearing Brooks for my entire life. Right. So that's what we did. And and it was hugely successful when we simply did that by looking at race photos, by looking at brand. And that's it. So we looked at a certain area and we looked at you over a period of 10 years and all the ways that you've run and right. saying, hey, were you someone who switches? And if you switch your shoe on the next event that you were at, Nike would give you a free pair just to try out. That's so smart. Speaking of running, you've also worked with Strava. What we do with brands like Strava that's really involved in the race community is we do a lot of their wearable integrations. And we also integrate Strava in other products. So here's a perfect example. If you were a race organizer for a large marathon and you wanted to integrate your marathon product with Strava, you would hire us to do that. You've had a lot of clients in the fitness, sports, endurance sports, and wellness space over the years. How do you help them grow their brand or empower them with the right tools to reach the consumers in a way that they're looking to connect with their community digitally? Okay, let me take a step back. So what, what brands do really well is really focusing on the product. And for a fitness company, whether you're a trainer, whether you are an indoor cycling studio or like a CrossFit brand, that's what you do well. It's getting people in shape. What you might not know how to do well is how do you reach out to the right consumer? And the first part of that journey is understanding that your brand and your product is not for everybody. So we'll walk them through that. And the, so we'll try to identify who your consumer is. Once we know that, we'll then build the technology and creative assets and any other tech solutions around that consumer. So do you feel like now more than ever, you've been very busy helping all these brands in the fitness and sports community since COVID go digital and create programs that can reach their consumers while they're not physically able to? Absolutely. Look, we've been talking about going digital for the last eight and a half years that we've right. been having Sweatworks, but that takes a lot of convincing. And for a lot of these brands, it was really difficult for them to envision and experience outside of their four walls because they've curated and really built this fantastic, engaging, community-driven experience. When COVID hit, we got several requests for saying, how can we take this brand experience virtually? How do we reach our consumers at their home or in the parks? So yes, we did get a ton of requests. And I think I'll look at that in, in two areas. One, we've also worked with several brands that, that have already done that. Right. I mean, in some cases, you know, we work with a brand such as Mix Fitness that launched earlier this year and is, is a great at-home product. In other cases, we work with brands who have thought about it, but haven't really made the investment in doing it. So in case my listeners are not dialed in to Mix Fitness, can you tell me a little bit about this fitness company? Also, one of our podcast guests, Diane Chumis, is an instructor for Mix. Oh, fantastic. She's a coach over there. Mix Fitness was really envisioned and created to address the non-competitive fitness market. So the whole premise behind Mix Fitness is one-on-one -on -one coaching. So instead of you competing with a 
leaderboard of thousands of other people that are cycling at the same time, you're really competing against yourself. And it's all about where you are today and how can you do better tomorrow? It's an at-home fitness product that is based on a bike, but it it's really a, a full body product because with it, you get weights, you get a foam roller. So there's a, a lot of different types of fitness that you could do with them. With Mixed Fitness, we are heavily involved and really created their entire technology infrastructure. We designed the product on the tech side. We continue to develop the product on the tech side. And we also worked on the tablet hardware as well with Mixed Fitness. So it's a great brand if you're looking at an at-home product and you might have looked at a Peloton or a tonal product, you should take a look at Mixed Fitness. Right. You worked with them early on from the beginning, and then you were talking about some other projects that you worked on. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going down the at-home fitness trend, we work with another brand called City Row. So we also work with them in a very similar concept where we develop their tablet hardware. We work with them on their app. So again, we bring that great boutique fitness experience into your house, doing the app software, doing the tablet hardware. That's really the challenge. The challenge that a lot of people have and most brands have is doing a Zoom session is great. It's a great band-aid, but it really doesn't bring the entire experience at home. You have to go beyond Zoom. It's just like using YouTube or Instagram Live. I think those are great stopgap solutions, but and it would work for a few weeks. But how do you go beyond that? How can you really, you know, a lot of boutique fitness studios have been asking those questions, especially in New York City lately. I mean, I've worked with many of them to launch their brands when they first started, like Mile High Run Club. I did work with City Row in the very beginning, a company called Swerve Fitness, TS Fitness. So I've worked with a lot of these companies, like a lot of fitness studio owners have been asking themselves those questions and gyms. How do we monetize digital? And that's a really good question to ask. And we can tell you from looking at the data that being able to in order to do that, in order to be able to charge someone, uh, you really have to provide them with a truly curated experience online. And that's really hard to do over Zoom or something like Instagram Live. Again, I think that works as a short-term solution to keep people engaged. But if you look at where we are today, I really don't believe that fitness is going to be the same really in the near future. And, and here's why. The evolution of fitness at home was happening. I mean, we've seen that happen over the last 10 years. What COVID did and what the pandemic did for us is accelerate that trend by three to five years. So we were going to be in this state today, but it might've been, if we didn't have COVID, it might've been five years from now. And, and as a brand, the brands have to realize that people's most valuable asset is time. And even the boutiques have done a really good job in location and proximity and placing studios that are really convenient to where people live and, and especially where the consumers live. It still takes time to commute there, to change and shower and then leave. I mean, you're looking at for a, a 45 minute class, you really have to block out an hour and a half. And if you now translate that into doing something at home where you're in and out in 45 minutes and you're just going about your day, that becomes a lot more convenient. So now throw the pandemic on top of it. Now you have to be concerned around, is the environment that I'm walking into going to be as clean as my home? And if you ask most people what they trust, yes, SoulCycle has opened up outside in the Hamptons, but there's still some anxiety there. There's still some, you know, I'm not really sure because what you trust is your own home. And what you trust the most is, you know, how you're maintaining your own home. Consumers, because of that, have learned to embrace fitness at home. Yeah. And consumers have also learned to engage with fitness at home. It's not that they're doing it alone. It's not that they're, you know, in a silo working out in the basement by themselves. I think, you know, we've done a good job in sharing, in, in bringing in other people, whether it's through FaceTime or other technologies, but really ensuring that experience. And if I'm a brand, they really need to think about how do you connect all of your brand consumers together and not just rely on the fact that hey, hopefully New York will open up at the end of next month. Right. And then when you start to talk about connecting consumers together, we could go into the whole race culture, right? Because that is what a lot of people love about racing and doing, whether it's in endurance races like marathons, half marathons or centuries cycling or 
you know, swimming events or triathlon, that's my sport. Part of that is the community. Like you just said, we've seen the evolution of all of these real-time brands creating digital virtual races and concepts, but I'm a consumer, I'm not engaged, right? So I'm the consumer they want to be engaged, but I'm not. And I ask myself, like, why am I not doing the Ironman virtual races? Why am I not as engaged on Strava? Why am I you know, not doing New York Roadrunners virtual races. So I guess my question is, and I'm sure you have, you know, as a consumer, I don't know the answer why I'm not. You know, I'm super self-motivated, but I'm always the first one to, to join the races. So, you know, how do you take someone like me and convert them? And like, is it the experience? Is it the content? I just wonder how, what the evolution of, of that will be. Yeah, well, just like you, Marnie, I'm also an avid, runner i'm I, i'm not a triathlete but definitely a runner you're also a ocr obstacle course racer oh yes yes i've done quite a few of those so right before the pandemic hit i was actually slated to run shamrock and i had trained for about 12 weeks to to run a 255 so a, a goal of mine was to break three hours in the marathon and being an endurance athlete i'm sure you understand you know that that that's like reaching, right? That's the point to reach. It's like breaking 12 hours on an Ironman. Yeah. And I was bummed. I have to say I was completely bummed. And Shamrock, which is a which is a marathon down in Virginia Beach, is a really flat course. And a lot of people pick that along. You know, that's considered like a fast course that you could potentially, uh, hopefully PR on. I'm writing that down. And <laughs> write it down. Yeah. And when that went virtual, I was definitely bummed. I said, look, I'm I'm in shape. Do I go and do it? And I actually didn't do it for a few reasons. One, I think when you think about the race environment and, and the race culture in general, most of it is driven around one race day. It's, it's the butterflies you get in your stomach. It's the fact that you can't sleep the night before. Right. It's being around shoulder to shoulder with your other race buddies, right? Even if you don't know them. Right. When you're running a race and if you've done tries, you, you, you definitely know what I'm talking about. You might be next to a complete stranger, but they're with you along the way. Yep. And by the end of the race, you say your goodbyes. You may never see them again, but you share that moment. Yeah. And a lot of us can relate that. Now, the next question is, how do we translate that in this virtual world that we live in? I, I don't have the answer. I mean, yeah. right now we're working towards that. I could tell you about a few things that we're doing yeah. to help in that. That would be cool. One, you mentioned New York Roadrunners. They've integrated with Strava in a really quick and easy fashion to say, great, we have this awesome virtual series. In fact, I've done a few of them. And you, you run your race on Strava, you tag it as a race, and it now gets uploaded and you can be a part of this leaderboard. I think that's a good step one. I would really equate the Strava integration for a virtual race with a Zoom class for a boutique studio. So like okay. Boot Bootcamp is doing a Zoom class. I think that they're still doing Zoom classes right now. I don't know if that's changing in the near future, but right now Bear's Bootcamp is only on Zoom. Integrating with Strava is that good like level one virtual connection. My experience with all of the digital fitness personally, I love the Zoom experience. I've been taking yoga classes on Zoom. I do private training on Zoom and for as far as Zoom is concerned, I like that. I get that. Because your instructor can kind of interact with you and you can opt in to see the other people in the class. Definitely. So that's a great start. And it, it's really helped a lot of people stay connected and stay sane, yeah. right? Being, being locked up. The next level for that is how do you now bring a brand in? Because let's face it, if New York Roadrunners, if they take a Brooklyn half marathon virtual, which they did this year, or the Atlanta Track Club does their virtual half marathon as well. Other than getting a different medal and a different shirt at the end of the of the race, what's really different about that experience? And the truth is nothing. Right. Nothing's different. I can tell you that we're working on highly curated experience for certain brands. One of the brands that we're working with is the St. Jude Memphis Marathon. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or not, but it's actually a pretty large marathon with about 24,000 people that happens in Memphis each year, first week of December. I mean, it's one of those unknown larger marathons in the country. That's a lot of people, yeah. It's a lot of people, and they have done a great job in getting retention. So the same people coming back year after year to do it. And a lot of the reasons why they do it is because 
coming to Memphis, going through St. Jude, they really get to immerse themselves in the entire experience. In fact, a part of the marathon course runs through the campus and you get to see all these children who are being treated and their families and hold, holding up signs. And it's one of the most inspirational things I've seen. Now, what we're doing there is bringing that experience virtual. So through an app, through video, through audio snippets, as you're running the course, you're listening to stories, you're being motivated through video, you're being motivated through audio, and you get to see virtual high fives and you get to interact with people in real time. It might not be a real time video, but just like in Strava, you can get a kudos post activity. This would be a kudos in real time as you're going. So imagine you are you know, in mile 22 out of a 26 mile marathon, that's really where you hit the wall. And, and Martin, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And and yeah, I've only done one marathon and it was the hardest thing I've done in my life. <laughs> and by the way, I love New York Roadrunners. So yeah, it was challenging. And yes, I would have loved to have gotten like high fives at each mile through text message or any kind of Wi-Fi service that would have connected my music or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think that's really it is now having that high five, having that that text message. I mean, here's another example. If you run, let's look at the New York City Marathon, starting on the Verizon Bridge. How can you replicate this iconic course that is the New York City Marathon virtually? I really think that that's phase two. That's where that's where you need to go. Right. Is to take it a step above. So while I think that the Roadrunners have done a tremendous job in executing the virtual plan, given how fast things have yes. changed. People had to pivot really quickly. Really quickly. I think a lot of brands now are thinking about how do we extend that experience? So if I'm a race, to me, again, you know, you've got this, this level one, but level two is now bringing your brand into Zoom. It's bringing your brand into Strava. And what does it look like? Another project that we're working on, and you might have heard of this, is the JP Morgan Corporate Challenge, mm -hmm. which is a 3.5 mile race that happens around the world, but they're in 16 markets. And very similar to that, they are building with us a real custom virtual experience that speaks to what the corporate challenge is about. And you'll get those high fives, those kudos, those motivational messages as you complete the course from your home state. So I really think that, you know, for events you have to be thinking about going virtual, but you have to take what makes your brand special virtually. I mean, people travel, people come to your event for a reason. Now, how can you bring that into your platform? One of the digital fitness programs that I use is Zwift, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes. I just rode four parts of the Tour de France on Zwift. It's a great app. I think I love it, <laughs> but I don't run with it. So I use it just, I have a CompuTrainer from like 1980. <laughs> yep. My, I've been riding my bike indoors for years and I love it, but I never liked the CompuTrainer program. I never liked some of the other programs that are out there. But what I love about Zwift is that I feel transported to the place. I don't engage with it running, but I do engage with it when I'm in my apartment. What are your thoughts about Zwift? Zwift is a fantastic product and we don't work with Zwift. However, I think the experience that Zwift provides is really what a lot of brands and events need to be leaning towards. Now, it's hard to replicate the Zwift infrastructure just because it's, it's expensive. How many people are going to have a trainer at home? How many people are going to have a foot pod to put on a treadmill to take Zwift running? Not many, but I think that what their product is and for the time that we are in, it helps with all the areas that we're looking at to keep people engaged. First one is transporting you to that location. It's bringing that experience into your living room. Second, community. You get to ride your friends, if, if you want, if you have friends on Zwift or complete strangers, but it really replicates the same reasons, Marty, that you mentioned of why you like to race. You know, you, you form this connection, even if it's just for that hour with that person that you're with. Right. And that's really important. And that keeps you coming back. No, but I think Zwift is on the right track, but in a lot of ways, it's still an elitist product because if you are just starting out your fitness journey it's a pretty sophisticated tool to get into yes but if you're already a cyclist or a runner or a triathlete you completely understand it i feel like strava does that a little bit you know with their challenges and but it's not in in real time yeah not i think you're right look strava has seen more activity uploads 
since post-COVID than before COVID. And here's another interesting fact. People that were already active actually became more active. I was just speaking with a friend from Strava, actually, who works at Strava, who, who mentioned that he now does two-a-day workouts. He breaks up his longer training sessions into twice a day because he's at home and he can do it, whereas before he couldn't do it. So in a lot of ways, people in the pandemic that were already in fitness have gotten more fit. I could even speak from my own personal experience that I used to hit the gym about four times a week for my strength sessions. And when all the gyms shut down, I had to get really creative. So I used that time to learn new things. I, I took up yoga. I focused on flexibility. I used bands. And right now, I actually feel healthier than before the gyms closed. So I think that you can use this as an opportunity to say, okay, there's a lot of tools available to me. There's a lot of great apps out there. How can I use that to help me get in shape? Yeah. Are you doing anything in the space with technology around strength training or weights or bands like you mentioned? We actually are. I can't speak about the brand specifically that we're working with, mm -hmm. but there are two things there. One is using AI to help you correct your form. And that's been an exploding area in our industry right now. I feel like really in, in 2020, fitness brands and technology are trying to understand how can we use AI to be better? So speaking specifically to strength, we're using AI to help you correct your form. And that could be for yoga, where you might not feel comfortable anymore having your yoga instructor come to you and correct your pose, given this current situation that we're in, right? So how, if you think about yoga and, and a lot of people who have taken yoga, I think one of the core concepts in that connection is your instructor coming to you and, and helping you get in the right form. And, and that's a part of the experience. Well, how do you get that type of guidance if you're not in a studio? So aside from Zoom, which is still difficult to see, we're going to be using AI to do that. And the same is true with strength. It might be really difficult from Zoom to look at, are your feet the right distance apart? Right. Unless, yeah, someone's directly looking at you and it's one-on-one. -on -one. That's correct. If it's one-on-one, -on -one, that's different. Right. But in a class environment, how can we replicate that? So we're using AI to help us do that. The second thing of AI that's been really important for 2020, and you're going to see this in several products coming out in 2021, is using AI as a recommendation engine. One of the challenges that we've had with the pandemic is, look, I think initially a lot of people expected the lockdown to last about three months in the worst case, right? right. If you ask people back in March, hey, how long are we going to be like this? Most brands, most companies were planning, and most people were you know, mentally planning to be locked down for about three months. Great. Now here we are five and a half months, nearly six months later, and we're still in this current normal with what seems like no end in sight. So in order to keep people engaged, one of the challenges that a lot of our brands come to us with is we don't want our content to go stale. We want to keep people motivated. We want to keep people engaged. Earlier on, on this conversation, you mentioned challenges as one way to do that. And I think that's great. There's a lot of challenges out there and it, it gives you a goal. It gives you, you something to stick with. But the second one is really driven by content and it's helping you find content that you're interested in. So we're using AI to help drive that. We talked about mixed fitness a few minutes ago. Right. And that's one of the things that a brand like Mix Fitness is doing is they're implementing AI to tell you things like you like Dean and you like her style, you like her music, but you know, she only uploads maybe three classes a week, but I want to take six classes a week. And that's a real common question. Right. So we're going to use AI to recommend you another instructor. We might say, hey, if you like Dean, try Sean because he does the same type of workout, he's got the same type of music, and the same people that like her also tend to like Sean. So now you've got six classes a week to pick from. Right. And that's really what we're working towards with our brands to really keep them more engaged. Finally, using AI is how can we bring in other aspects of your regular life into the brand? So here's what I mean by that. With a lot of our brands, I'd say 90% of our brands, we integrate things like the Apple Watch or Samsung Watch or your Fitbit into the app. And we do that because we want to be able to give you smart recommendations. So for example, you might've had a poor night of sleep. So we're gonna say your body isn't fully recovered. You didn't sleep great, take it easy today. Here's an easier session to go with. Or we might come to you and say, you appear to be more stressed today. Here's a 10 minute meditation class 
that you might want to take before you start your workout. And that's really the next phase, I think, that you'll be seeing in a lot of fitness products in 2021. Right. Do you work with Garmin? We do work with Garmin. We work with Garmin and we we integrate Garmin. I've been using their app since I started triathlon. I totally geek out on the data. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they take this data to the next level with AI and recommendations. Instead of just telling you, you know, what your VO2 max level is or what your heart rate is, or if you had a stressful night of sleep, like what to do next. I think that's a really interesting technology. I really do. And and look, honestly, in any wearable, I think the wearable companies are going to be doing and continue to do a great job in tracking. It's what they do. But here's the challenge. How do you provide context to that? So let's say you, you're a part of Barry's Bootcamp and that's your thing. It's Barry's Bootcamp or you're training for an Ironman and that's your thing. Um, your goals in life and your goals in training are going to be vastly different. And, and what you want to reach towards are going to be vastly different. These wearable products do a great job in capturing the data, but then how do you provide context to it? And that's what that's where we come in. That's where startups comes in. So we could take data from Fitbit, we could take data from Garmin, take data from the Apple Watch and say, okay, they, and then we convert them towards what a brand needs. Here's a good example. We've been talking about mixed fitness. I'm just going to continue down that path. Yeah, sure. Mixed fitness is a heart rate based workout. And they provide you with custom heart rate zones and there's no metrics on the bike. We can use these devices to pull heart rate from, but now we're going to give you personalized data that is really based on the mixed idea and the mixed branding and the mixed philosophies. And that if you're invested in the brand, that's what you're going to be looking for because Garmin, Polar, Apple, Samsung, they have to build a product that is broad and fits the broader consumer. Right. But I think consumers are going to gravitate towards brands that, that they can connect with more closely. Right. So even though there's this broad reach, there are going to be more niche consumers looking to connect. Sweatworks has been part of some very cool adventures, which I read about. You were named the official mobile app and live GPS crossing crusader tracking partner of Crossing for a Cure which is an 80-mile endurance paddle from the Bahamas to Florida that raises money for cystic fibrosis. And you did this last summer in June. Did you actually do the adventure? Did you do the paddle personally? I did not. <laughs> it's a great event. I'm not a stand-up paddleboarder, but that would be the equivalent, I think, of doing an Ironman triathlon. It's incredibly challenging. You mentioned that you're doing this other challenge with St. Jude's Memphis Marathon. Does Sweatworks get involved in a lot of these not-for-profit charity work organizations and adventures? Like, is that sort of part of your mission? Yeah, I think there are two reasons why brands reached out to us. The first one, speaking about Crossing the Cure, is they had a challenge, right? So they are a fundraising platform, and the best part of their event happens, you know, in this 80-mile stretch where you have no self-service. If you think about, they wanted to engage their participants to engage their, you know, their friends and family during this 80 mile event. But how do you do that when there's no cell reception? So they, re they reached out to us to come up with a smart solution to solve that problem. And we did that by, you know, using devices that connect with satellites and built a very custom app that allowed them to do that and raise funds. I think that nonprofits reached out to us earlier on because they don't want to just be like any other event. They, they want to create a special experience that's then going to inspire people to contribute to their cause. So that's, that's why. I mean, the very reason for why those brands reached out to us is now why regular fitness brands are reaching out to us as well, because they're trying to reach a broader audience beyond just the studio. Right. You also have your own app, Conquest Events. Do you white label that to brands? We have our own app. So Conquest Events is a brand that we build purely for the CrossFit and functional fitness event space. We don't white label that app, but we do have another type of app that we white label for for brands and events. But Congress Events was purpose built for the CrossFit community. Got it. And is that inspired by your OCR racing? <laughs> Somewhat, yes. I, I would say you know we started an OCR, and that just seemed to be like a natural path that took that. But yes, definitely inspired from from OCR racing. Got it. So what is the technology that you are most known for amongst all of these 
fitness and race companies that is like your signature product? Yeah, I really think right now, it, I wouldn't say it's a signature product, but I would say it's a signature experience. What we're most known for now is bridging the gap between hardware and software to bring that experience into your home. I mean, just this year and last year has been the key driver for most of what we do. We're the only company in the United States right now that has an office in China. We've got factories in China. We've got, so we not only develop the hardware, but also the software. And I got that idea from Apple, right? Because Apple right. controls the hardware and software. And I think it's, it's what makes their products so elegant and so user-friendly. And we wanted to do the same thing for fitness. Is AI the coolest new technology that you're working on right now? Absolutely. I mean, AI is definitely the coolest technology that we're working on just because the applications for it are so broad. And I mentioned this earlier. I mean, one, AI is going to help you stay more motivated and more connected because we're going to recommend you content that you are going to like. Second, it's going to help you just do the exercise better. We're going to tell you that, hey, you did 10 miles yesterday. Take a recovery run today and do three miles instead, or here's a pace that we, we're recommending you to take. And then finally, we can use AI to help us with form and, and really correcting the form that we could do and, and use while, while we're working out. So there's so many applications of AI, they're extremely broad. And I think that the next three to five years are really going to see the expansion of that technology. What are your thoughts on virtual reality? Do you think it will ever come back? I know it's kind of dated. Yeah, look, I think virtual reality was very important for a few years, going back about five to 10 years. Facebook invested in Oculus, and, it, and then you saw augmented reality. Bose, for right. instance, had Bose AR that we actually worked on, and we were in the midst of working on this year when they shut it down. What these brands have found is that consumers weren't as interested or excited as they were right. in virtual reality. There's just one, you had to get the right hardware that was really expensive. Right. And they just didn't, didn't feel comfortable in that. So now, I don't think virtual reality is ready to make a comeback yet. Hardware seems to be a barrier to entry for both brands and consumers if they're trying to get into the digital fitness space. To reach a broader consumer, fitness and endurance sports companies need to create amazing software and programming beyond the hardware. But of course, I'm sure there's room for both. Yes, I think that's true. We try to make fitness accessible to everyone. That's what we strive towards. But the reality is that not all types of fitness are accessible to everyone. So for instance, if you if you start a program that requires Olympic lifting, but you have no access to Olympic lifting equipment, then that might not be the right program for you right now. I, I think if you, the key here is to get you motivated and get you inspired to start a fitness journey, whatever that might be. Right. Anyone can put it on a pair of running shoes and go for a walk or a run outside. There are quite a few body weight, equipment-free workouts that we work with with our brands. Yes, I think hardware is an important point of entry, but it's not required if you want to start your fitness journey. Right. What are your go-to apps or go-to programs that you're using right now to stay fit during COVID? I think my go-to app and my fitness hub has to be Strava. So right. if you're on Strava, uh, you could find me there. That's one. It's where I kind of collect all my activities. I use it to analyze what I've done. And then the other one really depends on, on what I'm looking to do. I mean, clearly, I like to work with and, and use the brands that we are actively working with. So I, I try to mix it up a little bit. Right. What are some of the workouts and fitness routines that you're doing now that maybe you haven't done before that just, you know, because of COVID, you've had more time? And what were some of the things that you've done in the past to help you stay successful in your career and life? I think in terms of fitness pre-COVID, I was probably, I would say, 60% endurance-based workouts, 40% strength workouts, and then I threw in flexibility and recovery whenever I could. Actually, it might have been more like 50% endurance, 40% strength, and then 10% everything else. Right. Post-COVID, it's really been more like 70% endurance just because I don't have access to a gym. So I'm doing more of my workouts outside. I'm doing all of my workouts for the most part outside. And then I spend about, I'd say, 30% of that doing flexibility and strength-based workouts using equipment that I have at home. And you mentioned that you're also really into running. So have you been doing a lot of running? 
Yeah, I think my my weekly mileage probably went up from 40 miles a week to about 50 miles a week. Are you doing any more obstacle course race training or is that kind of like on the back burner? I think it's on the back burner right now, just because there's in the foreseeable future, you know, it's really hard to run a virtual obstacle course, right? You need to really be present at an event that right. set up for that. Yes. So yeah, I think that's in the back burner for now. But I do think that obstacle course racing inspired a lot of people to get into racing. In, in fact, most people that did a Spartan race in the last five years have never run a race before in their life, whether it's a 5K or a half marathon. But even if you look at the shortest Spartan race, um, is a lot more challenging than a half marathon. But people were inspired by the brand. They were inspired by the community um, and just the fun nature of leaving the city and doing something different. So I yeah. think that optical course racing still has a big role to play in the evolution of fitness. When do you think that real-time races will come back? When you're looking at the last five months, yeah, a lot of races have done their absolute best in trying to put on their event. I mean, in fact, the London Marathon just canceled last week or, or announced that it's going to be canceled for this year, last week. They have done a lot of research, and I think they gained a lot of learnings and, and experiences from at least trying to put on an event, even though that event might not be happening this year. I don't think that these mass participation events are going to be coming back in the near future in the way that we remember them. It's really hard to envision a New York City Marathon in the next two years where you're standing on the Verrazano Bridge with 50,000 other people right. waiting to start a race. I do think that the, the nature of the race as we know it is going to change. Now, with that said, I do think that a marathon can happen next year. I think they're going to be very smart about how to do it, whether it's happening over several days, whether each corral is very limited, but there's intelligent spacing. There's different ways to, to execute on that. But I just don't see it happening in, its, in the form that we've known it in the near future. With that said, a lot of it's going to be driven around how comfortable consumers feel and what we've been tracking right now is most consumers aren't going to be comfortable until there's a vaccine. That's one that we constantly keep on hearing from several brands of conducted surveys. And second, really see regular businesses open up. I, I think they really you know, equate events as a nice to have, but not a must have. But they look at their daily workout as a must have. I feel like race companies and mass participation sports events are going to have to rethink how they structure their programs and invest in the digital, invest in the app, invest in building this virtual community. And then they will ultimately bring back the events and the physical spaces, but then they keep it all and they're an even bigger company. I think what you said last really resonates well with us and, and what we've been looking at. The key to even in a post-pandemic era when it comes to fitness and events is a hybrid model. And you have to have a hybrid strategy moving forward. However, you bring up a good point is you, you've invested in leases, you've invested in permits and the event space and in the staff and just the know-how of, of how to put on an event. But in reality, I think that people are now realizing that they have to pivot and they have to change. So if you don't have the right people in place, you have to go out and get the right people. Right. One example that I've used often is that the best event organizer or the best race director might not be a best fit for creating your app experience. I think brands are starting to learn that. Initially, when this pandemic first hit, like most people, everyone expected this to be a short-term thing and that after a few months, things are going to go back to normal and we'll be able to have events. I think now a lot of these events, especially not having an event for a year, one, we're going to see, unfortunately, a lot of them go out of business just because they cannot survive and keep paying these bills without having any revenue come in. That's a challenge. But second, you're asking them to now divert resources and invest in a digital product. There's two buckets there. Unfortunately, right. a lot of the smaller brands just won't be able to do it unless they can go out and get more, more investors. But the larger brands have a big decision to make because... You, if you don't have the right people in place, then how do you go out and get the right people? And you have to be willing to accept that change is required. However, with all that said, you just you know mentioned a really key point in that this gives you an opportunity 
to go out and reach a much broader audience. Here's a great example. You mentioned Swerve, I think, earlier as, as, a, as a studio brand in New York. It's a really unique class experience, and I've taken a few Swerve classes, and I think it's motivating to be in the red team or the blue team. Imagine that being on an app and being at home and being made available at home. But they're a small company, and you know they have to make a decision to say, do we make the investment in doing that right now. They're really a great company. You work with some really big, impressive companies, events, programs. Do you work with smaller studios or do you just really work with bigger brands? Yeah, so for the most part, we do work with what we call mid-sized brands or brands that are private equity backed, but we have also worked with small studios as well. Right. If you think about what we do, right, we do everything from the design experience to all the technology back and, and, and infrastructure integrate with wearables. I mean, we, I think we average one or two patents per brand. We also create IP. We also build the hardware. So we've got all the tools in-house to take a brand at home or take an event virtual. It's just a matter of us talking and, and agreeing on timelines and budgets. Right. And do you also do content production? We don't, but we work with partners to do that. So we have a pretty good list of partners who've done a good job of that. And we do work with them on that. We also don't do branding. We don't do copy. But again, we've got a good list of partners that we work with. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Mohammed. This is great. I'm so glad we were connected. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>